Good afternoon. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Cornette's November Luncheon. As you can tell, this is uh, always a uh, fabulously attended and, uh, and long-awaited opportunity to take a look at the industry and look back over the year and look ahead with some of the leaders in industry. My name is Rick Page. I'm president of the chapter. Um, this luncheon is probably uh, a new record. I think we have an excess of 200 people pushed in a room that handles almost that amount. I am, uh, I am an example of what happens at Cornet. Uh, those of you that know me uh, know me as a tenant representative corporate real estate advisor, and I have now gone over and become the customer. And so this is the official announcement. I've now been in place for four weeks as the corporate real estate vice president for Park National Bank, FBOP Corporation, the holding company. <laughs> and already the cards are being handed over. <laughs> Gotta love it. Gotta love it. With me today are a couple of real bankers, uh, Jim Pape and Terry Rosenberger, who head up our uh, real estate lending group. You guys want to stand up and wave? This is how you... Uh, this is how you join a new organization and get them to be a sponsor, too. Speaking of sponsorship, if you didn't pick one up at the entry, there is a uh, description of the sponsorship opportunities that exist here at Cornet, and hope that you'll take advantage of those. Our sponsors are the, the reason we're able to do these things, and as you've been watching, the sponsors roll uh, continuously on the screen here. It's a great opportunity, and it's a great value proposition if you look what's included in the sponsorship. It's almost an even game. If you participate in Cornet, you get your money back many-fold. Also, I um, want to take the opportunity to talk about some upcoming events. Uh, as you came in, you had an opportunity to pick up the schedule for the upcoming year. As you may know, we're kind of a second Thursday group here at Magianos, but we typically have another one or two events every month of the year. Please block off the dates on here. There are a couple of variations from our second Thursday program, but pretty much consistent. So please mark your calendars and join us next year. Uh, hold your calendar for January 8th, which is the economic outlook. And on your chair is the announcement for the upcoming holiday party. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. This is a great, great, great time. Um, also, we just, uh, a number of us were down in Orlando, and as we get so many new guests here. I want to just explain. Cornet Global Chicago is a chapter, one of the largest chapters of Cornet Global Global. And Cornet Global Global is truly worldwide, and we meet two times a year, various different cities. And this last weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we were down in Orlando with 2,000 of our closest real estate buddies. In front of those 2,000 real estate buddies, your Chicago chapter, was invited up on stage. Invited up on stage, you say, why? Well, because the global organization holds a, an awards contest among the various different chapters to keep us on our toes. And I would like to simply uh, let you all know and, and share in the limelight we got, because in front of 2,000 folks, your Chicago chapter was awarded chapter of the year. This was specifically for our efforts in the area of membership and membership services and kind of to symbolically do
do the handoff and recognition, I'd like to invite our chair of membership, Tim Weidman, to come on up and accept the trophy. Can I ask uh, anyone on the membership committee to please uh, stand up and be recognized? Because this is certainly a, a group effort, absolutely. This is a great, uh, great honor for the chapter and a uh, great recognition, some great work these folks are doing. It's also a chance for me to encourage anyone else who wants to get the most out of Cornet and certainly out of your membership is to get involved. And we have a very active board. We have over 20 uh, board members. Each of those board uh, chairs has committees of 10 or 20 folks. And they're getting involved and they're meeting people and doing the networking the way it was really intended. So I hope you'll join us as we're beginning to set up committees for next year. Our fiscal year ends in April. Um, I think I've covered everything on my talking points, except maybe to say welcome to our media folks. Uh, we have uh, Eddie, I'm going to get this wrong, Eddie Babe. Eddie Babe from Chica Crane Chicago Business. We've met before. Eh? Mark Thornton for Midwest Real Estate News. And Jennifer Danko and Maureen Wilkie from Illinois Real Estate Journal. And I think that brings me to the point where I introduce RJ to kick off our afternoon session. Thanks, Rick. Well, we're here again, uh, and I'm back. The uh, November is uh, definitely uh, one of my favorite times of year. It's uh, a, a panel discussion that I find take particular interest in and and uh, have quite a passion for. Uh, but also, our January one is uh, equally of interest to me. So, uh, just reinforcing what uh, Rick said, January 8th, we will have the Chicago Federal Reserve back to talk about the uh, prognostications for uh, 2009. Uh, what, just a week and a half or two weeks before the, uh, uh, the before president-elect becomes the president. Uh, so that should be interesting. Uh, and then the uh, December, we had a December event that was uh, scheduled for the 4th in the suburbs. We're going to reschedule that for uh, January. Uh, we believe probably the 22nd or the 29th. We'll be getting you more information on uh, that exact date as we uh, as we get that nailed down. So let's just jump right into today's session. Uh, now let me let me introduce the uh, the, the, the the our, uh, our first speaker, uh, Sean Mobley, Executive Vice President and Managing Director for Grubb and Allison Chicago. Sean joined Grubb and Allison spring 2005. He doubled the size of the Chicago chapter in the last three years, and I certainly expect that you're going to have an incredible presentation by Sean on the, uh, the economics information. So, Sean, come on and take it away. Thank you. Good afternoon. Okay, am I on? It should be on. Ooh. How's that? Can you hear me okay? Great. 
Well, uh, good afternoon, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Uh, as RJ mentioned, and thank you, RJ, for the introduction, I'm Sean Mobley, and I'm the Managing Director of Govan Ellis in Chicago. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here today, and I'm especially honored to have the opportunity to moderate a panel with the quality of people that we have here today with us, which includes Jack Derberg from CB. I'm going to go through formal introductions later, but Jack Derberg from CB Richard Ellis, Dan Ryan from Jones Lang LaSalle, Rich Gatto from uh, the Alter Group, and Dennis DeCamp, formerly with Rockwell uh, Automation. So should be a good panel discussion. Um, you may wonder why, we're going to start off with an economics discussion. You may wonder why they have a sales execution guy giving a, uh, an economist's presentation today. I kind of wondered that question myself. Uh, so I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. So <laughs> we, sh we, should be in, we should be in good shape. So uh, you want to get us started, buddy? Uh, we're going to take a look at some of the, before we get into Chicago, I want to take a look at some of the fundamental drivers of commercial real estate. So I think when you take a look at the fundamental drivers, it helps you understand where we're at today and maybe where we're going. Um, and we're going to look at it in a couple of different ways. What drives the demand for commercial real estate? And I'd, I'd argue that there's a couple of main factors. The first of which is GDP growth. If uh, there's more stuff produced, we need more commercial real estate. And the other one is employment growth. If we have more people getting hired, we need more commercial real estate. So we'll look at those two factors that are the key factors of demand for commercial real estate. And then we're going to take a look at what's the other side of the deal. You need capital to execute, right? So you need, you, there's, a, there's the demand side and there's the ability to execute and drive transactions. And there's really two ways that you can raise money. There's, it comes in through corporate profits. It's a result of your ongoing operations, right? And then it comes in through uh, the capital market side. So uh, unless you're the federal government, then you have two other ways that you can raise money. You get to print it or you get to take it from other people. So. Uh, but the rest of us only have, we only have our operations and then we get to borrow it or raise equity, right? So we're going to look at each, each one of these characteristics. And we're going to start first by taking a look at corporate profits. Um, corporate profits, it's hard to look at where they're at today without taking a look at the stock market. Because if you think about equities in general, what really are they or what should they be? An equity is nothing but the expectations of the future performances of those companies. So when you're looking at equity values, that is the market's indication of where they expect earnings to go in the future. The market's a forward-looking indicator. And this is a pretty stunning graph, I think, that we put together. Uh, you know, there's a couple of things to note. First is the, uh, just the dramatic drop in equity values that we've seen over the course of the last three months, over the course of the last 15 months. And to give you a measure of what that is, this is the S&P 500, which was at 1,500 about in the summer of 07. It's in the 800s now. To give you an idea what the value of that loss is to us, if you look at the value of the equities in the three major U.S. stock exchanges, the American Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, and the NYSE, in the summer of 07, that was about $21 billion was the value of equities everybody had. Today, it's 12. So to give you, if people never really talk about this. We've lost $9 trillion, trillion in equity values in the last uh, 15 months. Uh, on, a, on a global basis, that number is like $30 trillion. And it's a good number, I think, to kind of think about because you can put the TARP number, the $700 billion, maybe into some context when you think about that we've lost $9 trillion in the United States, $30 trillion worldwide in equity values. So it's a good way to look at it. Another thing, you know, if you invested in stocks over 20 years, you know, you go to business school, you learn these things, right? Long-term stocks pay off, and you see a nice 6.2% CAGR over 
uh, 20 years, right? But look at these camel humps, right? So uh, the, the news really is, if you would have invested the last five years, equities, you lost money or broke even. Look about the 900 line, right? We've been here before. We were here in 02 at 900. What's even a little bit more disturbing is we were here in 97, right? We were at 900 again. So the five-year returns in equities are flat. The 10-year returns in equities are flat. So people who taught, you know, to, to make money in equities, you really need to go run a 20-year analysis. Now, if, you, if you're a market timer, I mean, people have made money, obviously. There's, there's some steep climbs there, but it's a difficult, uh, it's certainly a difficult environment. So I think the takeaway from this is that the market certainly will, is telling us that the future expectations for corporate earnings is poor. That's, what the, that's, that's certainly a, a takeaway from this graph. Next one, buddy. Uh, okay, so um, demand for commercial real estate space. More goods, more space, right? So GDP is the, is the measure that we typically all use for goods and services in the United States. And this is a three-year analysis, 07, 08, and 09, looking at the actual in black and the projected in blue, red, and green of what's happening with uh, GDP. And uh, it's compared to uh, the trend growth of 3%. 3% is kind of the, they're called like the equilibrium rate of growth in the economy, the rate of growth before you hit inflation, what we sort of aspire for. And uh, there's a couple of key takeaways. First of all, these numbers, the forecasts, have been revised down significantly twice, twice in six weeks from all the major investment banks and people who look at this kind of stuff. And it looks like we could go three, four quarters of negative growth. Second quarter, uh, third quarter, fourth quarter this year, first and second next year. Depends what you look at. But it's a significant, significant number. Three and a half down in the fourth quarter. You know, two down in the first quarter next year. So you're looking at three or four quarters of negative growth. Then uh, the growth, when, you know, when we go positive again, it's looking at numbers that are substantially below the trend line of 3%. So uh, this, again, sort of argues that the demand side for commercial real estate, as expressed in the products, that, products and services, is going to be uh, down substantially. Uh, we hear about this all the time, don't we? This is, the, uh, this is a graph of job losses uh, over the last, uh, the last year. And a couple of things, I think, that are worthy of note. First of all, just how shallow the job losses really were for most of this year. It was a pretty small number, 70, 80,000, 50. I mean, these are big, these are people, right? But overall, those are pretty small numbers. But it's been a, a substantial change in the last couple of months. Uh, the August number you see there is 284. That was actually 150. It was revised to 284. And then the current month, the most recent number is 240,000 jobs. These are numbers, though, that are consistent with a significant recession. We've seen two, 300,000 job losses per month back in the 0102 area, back in the 91, 92 area. These are numbers that we're used to, so it, it has been very shallow. The concerning thing is where the forecasts are. So this is a six and a half, this is 1.2 million jobs lost this year. And that translates to a six and a half percent unemployment rate. The forecasts, say, it's called Goldman Sachs, they're, they're pretty good, right? They're forecasting numbers in the seven and a half to eight percent range. That translates to a percent to a percent and a half more of job losses, which is 1.5 million to 2 million more job losses to come. So this, the forecasts are for job losses, 2732 million. So uh, as hard as it is to believe, 
the numbers say we're not halfway there in terms of the job losses. We're not halfway there. So um, that argues for uh, certainly a decrease in demand for commercial space, uh, to put it nicely. Uh, credit markets, um, we're going to look at a couple of things. Uh, and there's sort of a good news, bad news story maybe. The TED spread, what is the TED spread? The TED spread is um, it's an indication of what the corporate credit risk is. It's, it's the uh, three-month LIBOR rate, which is the typical index that uh, corporations borrow from, short-term funding, minus three-month treasury bills, which is the risk-free rate, right? And I don't know about you. I, it was always 50 basis points, right? It was like a half a point. This is what, this is what, the, this is what the TED spread was forever. Uh, that, you know, when, when the uh, it's fall of last year, that started the gyrations. Oh, I apologize. The... Um, the axis is cut off. So the low number there is about 50 basis points, like the 04 through September of 07. The spike you see all the way at the top, which was like three or four weeks ago, this was right around the time when the TARP failed. That was 500 basis points, 5%. Five, 5%. Uh, and I guess sort of a good news story is that number is now down to like 200 basis points. So there has been some relative reduction in risk relative reduction in cost of capital for short-term borrowing. So that's good news. It's still dramatically above, though, this sort of 50 basis point number that we've seen uh, over time. Um, the next one to me is uh, the most concerning one, though. And, and this is a, uh, the Federal Reserve actually conducts a quarterly, I didn't even know this until recently, a quarterly loan officer survey. And they ask them about whether they're tightening or loosening uh, their credit standards, their lending standards. And this survey goes back to 1990. The current uh, percentage of loan officers that are tightening their lending standards is at an all-time high. It's over, it exceeds uh, 80%. What concerns me about this is not only the, uh, the uh, ability of people to get new loans, but what does this mean for refinancing uh, down the line uh, as well? So that's a, uh, that's a pretty, concerning, uh, uh, pretty concerning story. Uh, so is this one. So economics is the dismal science. I know I am just delivering that to you. But we're gonna, the panel's going to be different, right? Or there's ways to get through this. So I know this is uh, a very, a very uh, concerning set of slides. But uh, it is what it is, right? Uh, this is uh, a different view of the losses that have occurred to today, right? So we looked at the equity markets and looked at losses $9 trillion, $30 trillion. This is the losses in the, um, in the loan portfolios of various financial institutions, okay? So right now out there in loans, in people's portfolios, is about, these numbers, $23 trillion. There's $23 trillion of loans out there, and they have default rates. They have expectations when people buy them, they securitize them. And um, this is through the second quarter of 08. Look at the spike in the uh, default rates. The blue line is, is consumer credit. That is autos and credit cards, pretty much. Um, the blackish line is corporate debt. The gold line is residential mortgages. And uh, the, uh, the gray line is commercial real estate. Bottom line, the current forecast for that portfolio, that, that portfolio of debt out there right now, which is $23 trillion, is that there'll be $1 trillion of losses in that portfolio as it stands today. There'll be something like 4.5%, 5% overall losses in the, uh, in the overall just uh, debt stack 
as it stands today, losses around a trillion dollars. So you got the trillion plus the nine. That's, uh, that's I think, 10 trillion. Uh, so that is an overall view of the marketplace. I'm going to talk real quickly, real quickly about the real estate statistics, which, you know, it's a lagging indicators, right? Real estate lags the economy six, nine, 12 months. Deals we're closing today are deals that were started in a different, it's like an echo of a better time, right? And so uh, this is just really quickly, this is on a national basis. You see that vacancy rates are trending up in office, in industrial, in retail. Apartments are holding in there pretty well. Can't buy a house, you stay in your apartment. Uh, this is, and I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about this with Jack and Dan and others, this is the uh, CBD vacancy rates, which have been trending down for lots of positive reasons in downtown Chicago. Uh, this is the suburban, which is a little bit of a different story. You've seen that come up. The sub of the subprime lenders in the Northwest market in particular have been hit. Uh, this is vacancy rates. Uh, for the industrial market, they have trended to, to go up. There has been some speculative development that has come online without users. So you're seeing a spike up in, in vacancy rates in industrial. This is uh, lease rates, which have started to flatten off in industrial. Uh, the investment market, uh, this is investment sales for uh, 2008, which I'm sure Dan and Jack can attest to. It's, it's dead. And uh, that market, this is from real uh, capital analytics. You can look at 2007. These are quarterly. These colors are by quarter. And so you're seeing the market down two-thirds uh, this year, just no capital availability for transactions. Uh, this is a really interesting slide. OK, this is the mix of capital that was on the left, the mix of capital that was used to fund investments in the past, where people were getting money from a couple of places. The, the blue, the two different shades of blue, that's Wall Street, it's Lehman and JP Morgan making loans on real estate, and national banks. Look what's happened year to day. Uh, what you're seeing is that over half of the deals that are getting done are getting done with assumed debt. So I really hope you have, that people have assumed debt. Uh, Wall Street's out of the picture altogether. They're a tiny sliver. The national banks are obviously far more conservative. But it just shows you, and seller finance comes into play too. But a totally different change in the capital that's available to do transactions today. What's going on? What's the upside? What's some good news? I know that was a lot of bad news. I do appreciate it. I really tried to, uh, like, I tried, but if you, <laughs> what do you say? I'm an economist today, right? We, we do a different one to the sales force, just so you know. There's a whole different slide deck, right? <laughs> a whole different slide deck. Uh, so uh, what's going on? What's there to get excited about? The TARP, the, the TARP relief, that's uh, $700 billion that I think we're all hoping shows up in banks uh, and in the lending markets uh, soon. Interest rates are low. They're still low, right? Interest rates are low, and that, that, that bodes favorable for us. There is a been a gigantic decline in commodities prices uh, recently. What is oil now? Is it it's under 60 bucks? It's under 60 bucks. Gas is a two-something or whatever, a gallon. So that's a huge change. And then uh, we're, there's talk about increasing fiscal stimulus plans for the auto industry, for middle-income people. So there's some positive elements that hopefully are coming around the corner that will uh, get the money flowing uh, again. So that is the uh, that sets the table for our discussion.
what I'd like to do now is introduce our guest speakers who are going to tell us how we're going to manage through this cycle, right? It always comes back, right? So we're going to learn how to manage through it. I'd like to introduce our uh, panelists and have them come up one at a time. First, I'd like to introduce Dennis DeCamp. Uh, Dennis most recently was Director of Global Workplace Services for Rockwell Automation. His responsibilities included global real estate, facility and project management, security, flight operations, and general services for Rockwell's assets in over 40 countries. He has over 20 years of co corporate real estate and facility management experience. He's an active leader in Cornet, Boma, and other industry groups. Welcome, Dennis. I'd also like to introduce Dan Ryan. Uh, Dan has overall responsibility in the Midwest for Jones Lang LaSalle, including tenant rep, agency leasing, property management, project and development services, capital markets, and construction. Dan holds an MBA from Kellogg. He's a member of the Northwestern Alumni Association, a member of the Executives Club of Chicago, and is on the board of directors of the Chicago British American Business Council and the CARA program. Please welcome Dan Ryan. I'd also like to introduce Jack Derberg. Jack is CBRE's Executive Managing Director for the Chicago region. He also provides oversight to CBRE's Minneapolis and Wisconsin markets. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Derberg <laughs> leads one of CBRE's largest and most profitable operations in the Americas, boasting 2007 gross revenues of over $165 million. He's a past president and a very active member of NAOP in Chicago. Please welcome Jack Derberg. Uh, last but not least, I want to uh, introduce you to Rich Gatto. Rich is the Executive Vice President of the Alter Group, responsible for directing all business development, corporate services, and leasing and build-a-suit activities. Rich has directed the development of numerous business parks and buildings for the Alter Group in states from Illinois, Georgia, Florida, Virginia, Kentucky, Arizona, Ohio, and Michigan. Sounds like the uh, AP Top Ten or something. Uh, was for a while. He, uh, he began his corporate real estate career in 1980 and joined the Alter Group in 84. He's active in Cor uh, Cornet, Naop, and Aerie. So uh, why don't we take a seat and talk a little. Pardon me. These are comfortable. Are they comfortable? Sure sinking. Are. I'm sinking in it. Is everybody's mic on? Everybody mic'd? Test. Yep. Well, let me let me start with this. Um, as we sit here, and you, know, you heard these, these <coughs> slides about the overall economic conditions, uh, what's happening on Wall Street, what the ripples have been on Main Street. Um, how do you explain what happened this year? What happened? How did we get here? Who wants to go? Do you want to go first? What happened? To some extent, what really happened is, is we let Wall Street into our business. And this is, in some regards, the, the price you pay for that. Uh, what's happened in the capital markets is a, a breakdown of, of the back end, a breakdown of the securitization of all of the bundling of the loans that the assets that we create through our own different expertise here in the room uh, in package to those investors. And, those investors who buy those securities kind of lost track of the underlying assets. And the, the business school graduates, the uh, lack of regulation, other reasons 
we've created a, a variety of exotic derivative products that kept getting the actual security further and further from the, the underlying asset in terms of the people buying, selling, and trading these, these derivatives. Uh, ten years ago, the life companies did permanent mortgages. You didn't have a, a securitization of the commercial mortgage market, and, and we do now. And you saw that the slides that you showed, you know, half of the 06, 07 uh, debt structures were, were either Wall Street or um, <coughs> international banks, which, you know, really weren't there 10 years ago. Uh, so the traditional parties have to kind of make their way back into the market as the, the, the Wall Street money, money flows out. Jack, how do, you, how do you see it? Well, just to, um, you explained that well, Rich. Um, I would just say that now we're in a herd mentality. It's, it's fear and panic. And, um, you know, we need to stop that, frankly. Um, I think we all, you know, if you pick up the paper, everybody's read, you know, why we got here. And, uh, you know, I think we all need to try to stop that and uh, stop the fear and panic and, and look forward to, you know, to better times because it's, it's very easy. Every conversation that you're in, you know, it starts with, you know, can you believe this? Did you read that? Um, look what's happening. And, um, you know, I think as leaders in, in the industry, it would be great if, you know, if we could all, you know, take a pause here and, uh, and stop the fear and panic and, uh, and look forward to, you know, to better times. And hopefully, you know, through this discussion, we'll talk about things outside of the capital markets. I think when you're, when you're looking at um, what's happening, it's always through this capital markets lens, and, you know, which, which tends to be really negative. But if you peel it back a layer into a lot of the businesses that we're in, um, uh, there's a lot of activity that nobody's talking about. And, and hopefully we'll spend some time talking about that. Fantastic. Dennis or Dan? Well, I think if, if you look uh, historically, I may not be on either. Uh, you know, it, there we go. It, uh, it really comes down to housing. If you look in the rearview mirror, and, and, and Rich talked about how these mortgages got packaged and securitized and sold, and, and you know, these mortgage holders were left holding illiquid assets, but it really started with this frenzy in the housing market. And if you look at historically uh, median uh, home prices to median household income from 1980 to 2002, that ratio was about 3.25. So what does that mean? That means if you made $100,000, you bought a home worth roughly $325,000. Well, in 2005, that ratio spiked to five. So that same $100,000 of income was buying a house worth, worth a half a million dollars. And that was happening because of the interest rates that were so low. It was very aggressive lending tactics that were out there, not a real eye on quality. Uh, and as those bad loans got packaged, securitized on Wall Street, uh, those, those uh, holders of CMBS or CDOs or however it was packaged uh, had, had illiquid assets. Uh, and thus, we got into this credit freeze. Uh, and Sean talked about TARP. Uh, and we heard yesterday that uh, uh, the TARP may not go to troubled assets now. It, it, and there are some people that think it should go to the automotive industry. And uh, I, I think it's kind of funny because if, if you take the T out of TARP and you put it automotive in there, then it becomes AARP. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so, I mean, that's a, a little, you know, and I'm not quite there yet, but uh, that's a little bit of, uh, of how we got in this mess and why, why things are so illiquid right now. That's great. Double ARP. Um, let's talk a little bit about moving forward, and I, and I, I think we all agree, Jack, it's, there's, how are we going to manage through it? There will be better days, right? This is a cycle. It, it all is coming back. Tell me about where, and, and I was thinking specifically maybe to talk a little bit about maybe corporate services or leasing, but where do you see, uh, where do you see the market recovering first, or what, what, what are you excited about in 2009? Sure. So expanding on you know, what I said earlier, let's, let's, uh, let's peel it back a layer, and I'm just going to give you this through the lens that I'm looking through, which is C.B. Richard Ellis. And through three quarters of 2007 in our, in our brokerage business, which is uh, office, industrial, and retail leasing. We did 1,350 transactions in Chicago. Through three quarters uh, of 2008, we did 1,200 transactions, right? So that's, we're down 12%. But we did 1,200 deals this year, and, and nobody's talking about that. Um, you, you know, again, it's all through this capital markets lens. There's activity, you know, leases on average expire every six to seven years. And, and look at all of us in the room, uh, whether you're an architect or you're a contractor or you're a corporate real estate executive, you know, that, there's work for us. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, representing, a, you know, a user, you know, in that transaction or whether it's representing the landlord, uh, whether it's, you know, building out the space or, or, or planning the space, you know, there is activity a layer below. Um, even on the invest, even on the capital market side, and again, this is through a, a CB Richard Ellis lens, but uh, you know, through three quarters of 2008, we've closed 86 investment sale transactions. Um, so you know, there are deals getting done. We've you know, we've uh, we have 30 loan originations uh, through three quarters of, of 2008. But if you you know, if you pick up the paper and you're watching the you know the media, you're really not hearing about that. So you know, there is some level of activity currently, um, and that's, that's positive. Um, and, and I guess my view uh, for 09 is, and I'm just going to take capital markets and I'm going to take leasing. You know, on the capital market side, uh, you know, you could argue how could it be worse, you know, than it is in, in 2008. Um, you know, should there be, is there going to be some kind of pent-up demand and where you're looking at the back half of 2009 and we're going to see some, you know, some activity? Um, you know, I'm, I'm a glasses half full guy, so I'm going to believe that. Uh, you know, I'm going into the year thinking, you know, we're going to get a bounce here in the second half of 09, you know, from our capital markets business. Um, but others would tell you there isn't one thing you can point to today that would tell you that that's actually going to happen. And, and so that's, you know, uh, you know, that's making people nervous. On, on the leasing side, uh, I think our business, uh, all of our, you know, our leasing business, uh, will go down even further in 2009 from year-end 2008. And whether that's 10% or 20%, you know, remains to be seen. Um, but I do think the leasing business is going to slow down. Sean, you touched on this. You know, a lot of the activity that we have today was created nine months ago. And, and you know, now we're in a, you know, a, a, di a, different, a different world. So I, I do think leasing is, is, is going to be down. Um, and then, just lastly, on, on the corporate services side, um, you know, our, our, our clients are looking for, um, looking for our help. Let's, you know, can we take advantage of the, you know, of the market condition right now? Um, cost reduction strategies, whether it's on the transaction side or whether it's on the, on the facility side, 
Um, I, I think you know, we're all looking for ways to create value, and I think we can do that in 2009. Uh, so I think there's going to be activity for all of us you know, on, on, on the corporate side. And along those lines, Dennis, help us see this through the eye of a corporate user. What are people talking about in the boardrooms? What are people talking about in the, when they're planning their business for next year? And where, what, how is real estate being impacted? Share with you. Um, our, our good news is going to be somebody else's bad news. Um, we, we had an opportunity today to see some good, compact economic information that, that, quite honestly, in our business as real estate professionals within corporations, that's not our focus. Our focus has to do with the business of the business that we're in. Uh, we have a number of businesses that are um, resistant to recession. Uh, there are a number that are not, but they all come in at different times. By taking a look at the last two quarters, at the end of March and into April, there wasn't this sky-falling kind of idea of, of what was going on. We have, as professionals, for about the last five, seven years, have really taken advantage of what we've been taught in terms of how to better rationalize our space, how to look longer term at our portfolios, how to make those decisions. And we did that with our partners that know this information and have guided us. We've gotten so good, we've taken costs down so well, that we're at a point that our companies are coming to us and saying, you know, all those good results that you had, all those good things, you we need to do more of them. And the real driver at the end of the day is space. Okay? So if we come back and we expect the continual results from our partners, our partners are going to have a problem or the landlord is going to have a problem. Because we're going to say, we just broke through the ceiling, we've got, our company is now believing in alternative workplace. A lot of them have been resistant for a long time. Or we can find other ways to go ahead and con consolidate a couple of our locations. Those ideas a year ago that people said we don't want any part of, they're coming back to us now and saying, how do we get that done? So we come back to our providers and say, okay, you know, the good rent structure, hey, you know, the opportunity to downsize, to get the good leases, the pushback today is we can't get that as readily as we did before. So to get to the point of what's the positive in the thing, I think there's two parts to it. I think one is we have the opportunity to be much more creative than we have before and to, in real strict partnership with our service providers, find different ways of getting out of this. Can we find the landlord that's interested in a long-term low market lease? Is the, is the landlord going to come back on a short-term situation and let us all take a breath? The one thing for certain is our ability to put up more capital going forward is going to be uh, very difficult. So where we were putting capital into a project as well as we were expecting the landlord, our, our gut reaction would be how much more can we ask the landlord to do? And they're probably going to say not much. Thank you. And Dan, I want to ask you about your view of 09, but Rich, help me understand this through the eyes of a developer. What challenges are you facing? What opportunities are you seeing? How, how is this, help me see this whole, through the, this whole issue through the eyes of a developer. Can, can you hear me with this? Yeah. I mean, first, 
let me say, it's been pretty good for a while. You know, I mean, the last seven, eight, ten years have been good times. So this is a cyclical business we're in. We, we can't forget that. And then trying to pick up on what you're saying, you know, there's a positive view here. It's going to be time to slow down. It's, it's time to work your assets. It's time to take care of what you have. You'll be starting less new construction. We'll be much more selective how we... Uh, utilize our capital that we have available. We'll be trying to shore up our balance sheet. It's back to some of the basics. It's back to leasing. It's back to repositioning assets. Uh, one of the things that we as, as an industry and the, the, the tenants to some extent I think have really been the, the benefactors of this is that the cost structure for development and, and construction in land has really risen dramatically. Our commodity pricing in the last few years. And we have basically been able to keep our rents flat or marginal increases because the cap rates and the values change so dramatically to afford that additional cost. That's over. That, that, that's, that's gone. And it may come back. We, we've talked, me, I, I talked with some of the gentlemen here today. You know, really, we're all trying to figure out what the new value is going to be. Where will cap rates settle? And, and how will real estate end up? Um, but it's it's going to be a slow time. We we will still look at niche opportunities. You, you'll still try to keep your people busy. We've started to look at student housing. Uh, we, we've tried to, to build our medical office uh, building and our, our healthcare business a little bit. Uh, there are still markets that have some play. It just it's going to be harder for a while. It, it's it's going to be tougher to get uh, to, to get to the right deals. Can I, can I ask Rich? But there isn't, sure. um, there's no supply problem, really, right? And that is, is that, um, yeah, I, depending on the lens you're looking through, um, that's positive, right? In my view, it's a double-edged sword. The, the capital markets, as you said earlier, you're right on. The, the, the lens we're looking through real estate is from the capital markets perspective. The actual supply-demand factors that are present in real estate I don't think are that imbalanced. You have some suburban office product in some of the locales sitting. But the real problem is real estate's like, as an industry, it moves like lava. You can see it coming. And <laughs> you, you know, you know, everything that Sean talked about, the, the, the loss of jobs and all that, we're a lagging indicator of, of, of that. So things are going to get worse in the sense of supply and demand, I think, for a while. On, uh, on top of the capital market debacle just because those jobs are, are, are going to have a pullback in the need for office space. The retailers, you know, they have really stopped and they're going to hurt warehousing distribution. And, and, and I, I know there's some industrial people in the audience. Our industrial marketplace here in the United States used to be comprised of manufacturing and, and distribution assembly, the, the tool and die, especially here in our city of Chicago, the 10,000 square foot person who took a piece of metal and bent it and sent it to Ford. They're not around anymore. The, 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 that's really gone, you know, away. It's gone offshore. It's gone to automation. So really our industrial development community has, has just run to distribution. And that's going to have a direct impact from, from retail. So uh, I, I think the supply and demand is not as bad, but some of these factors are going to going to play out through 09. And Dan, tell me from your opinion, Jones Lane LaSalle, mm -hmm. what sectors do you, are, you, are you concerned about in 09 and beyond, and where do you feel pretty good that there's opportunities for you? Uh, 
You know, I would say from a, an 09 perspective, uh, certainly leasing is going to slow. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, thank God for renewals uh, because uh, something has to happen. Uh, there is an event that something needs to happen, even if the, the tenant stays in place. So, you know, but uh, leasing overall, I would say right now deals seem to be holding to some extent, and yet you look at the unemployment numbers, you look at the job loss, you look at what's projected, and, and you begin to, you know, we're in a lag position in, in our industry, so, so definitely leasing will slow. Uh, if you look at the corporate side of the business, uh, 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 I would expect that to uh, continue. Uh, we're seeing increased demand for outsourcing. Um, our corporate solutions business in the Americas is up 30% year over year uh, from last year. Uh, and that is because our corporate clients uh, want and need more. They're looking for cost savings opportunities. Uh, they're looking for help. Uh, we were fortunately just awarded a big piece of business from Procter & Gamble, their, their entire portfolio, 150 million square feet around the world. And it's just an example of uh, the corporates continuing that trend, and, and so I would expect to see that uh, continuing. Uh, and, and love to come back to this question about what's going to happen in the Chicago market because uh, we've got some interesting perspective. Well, can, can I add to yeah, that please. a little bit? Let's you know, um, I, I think for for us as service providers, we've got we all have pretty robust platforms, so we're not a niche firm. And uh, so, if you have a evaluation group, for example, um, you know that that business is up. Uh, you know, appraisal appraisal work. Think sure. about the the banks and the lenders that are you know, uh, have mandates uh, to go out and appraise a thousand properties. And so there's little, there's little pockets of opportunity. Think of the, uh, the receivership work, you know, so that some of the banks and, and the lenders have uh, to work on and they need our, our services for that. So um, there are, you know, even in an environment like we're in, there are pockets of opportunity that you can find. Those are, you know, those are two examples that, that frankly weren't as robust before this happened. And let, let's talk about the Chicago market. Are there unique things in Chicago that will, you know, the statistics we talked about, are there, are there areas where it's going to beat the national average? Is there other areas where it's going to be worse than the national average? What, what is unique about Chicago that, that you see? I would uh, answer that, Sean. Uh, specifically, you know, Chicago has always historically been a well-diversified business environment. Uh, and, it, you know, if you look at the, the banking sector in Chicago, uh, it represents about 9% of, of the CBD office space. You add in all the financial services, it's about 14%. You compare that to Manhattan, it's 30 35%. So uh, while Chicago is not immune by any stretch of the imagination, uh, the diversification that we have through the industries in Chicago uh, will help insulate that a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's still the Wachovias out there, there's the Lehmans out there, there's the Bear Stearns, all of whom have office space in Chicago. Uh, and then we've got, you know, 5.1 million square feet of deliveries that are coming into the market downtown uh, next year and in 2010. So you begin to project, and we just completed a research paper on this, it was released yesterday, the different scenarios leading to the vacancy rates downtown. Now, the good news is, while there are cranes still in the, in the sky, uh, the market has not been overbuilt. Uh, so with demand slowing, uh, it, what, what, what we don't have is this huge supply that's, uh, that the market has seen in years past. So, uh, but nonetheless, uh, the downtown will be impacted, uh, uh, but, but not as bad as other markets. 
Jack, how do you see the downtown market? Yeah, well, uh, you know, statistically, it doesn't tell the story uh, about what we're all feeling right now, which is the market is, you know, we're having some, uh, some difficulties. If, you know, statistically, vacancy went down in the CBD, this is direct vacancy, not sublease, from 10.8 in the second quarter to 10.4 in the third quarter. And so if you look at the stats, uh, you know, it, it's, it's speaking to a healthy market. Well, now we all know, again, you peel that back a layer, that activity has slowed down, and there's a storm out there, it just hasn't hit us yet, right? Um, but what that's, what that's done, though, I think, is at least in the moment, uh, it's kept pricing in check, right? So in the moment, pricing is still flat. Now, I, I think that's going to change, obviously, for a lot of the reasons that Dan, you know, talked about, about the new construction, although, um, you know, some of that may not actually go. Um, it's possible. So, um, you know, that would create a, e even a little healthier market if, um, you know, if that happened. So, you know, I, I think leasing is going to be down. I think the, the pendulum's going to swing now and vacancy is going to start increasing and then, uh, and then pricing's going to follow that. Um, if you talk about some of the other businesses, um, talk about retail, for example. Again, if you want to be a glasses half full person, uh, the suburban retail business, um, you know, that there's a, there's, you know, vacancy is on the rise there. But if you look at the CBD, you've got built-in demand. You've got the population of workers. And so CBD retail is actually pretty strong, and there's still retailers that want to be here. So, again, you can, you can find these, you know, little pockets of, of opportunity and, and things, to, uh, things that are positive that are out there. Uh, Dennis, Dan had mentioned, and as did Jack, that they're both of their corporate services businesses are up right now. Do you see an increase in, in, in corporates an increasing interest in outsourcing? Or where, where do you see that going? Well, the, the we're going to get one that works. Hello. There oh, there it is. Um, I think there's no question. I think with the series of asks that we're going to be made of, uh, whether it's labor, we will all be already beginning to see that there's going to be more of an interest and an appetite where there might not have been a year, a year and a half ago. And I think there's a couple of good reasons for it. I think number one is um, if we're involved in one phase or the other with that community, okay, we, we have been seeing proven results. And there are those kinds of actions, and I'm going to use the word tactical, but, but it's probably not the most correct word, to say those things are taken care of for us, okay? Um, we need to, to further that. If we haven't been in an outsourcing mode, if we haven't been able to take advantage of it, that needs to be a serious look. There's absolutely no question. Um, I, I think the other part of it is, I think there are additional services that we may not even be aware of. Um, when we were down in Coronet this last week, and we had some presentation of some very interesting tools that the community is using that, quite frankly, I wasn't even aware of. So how to, how to fill our gap right now with additional cost-saving, creative, imaginative type of things I think is really open right now. Uh, there's nothing that's being left on the table. Yeah, I and think it's, have you noticed that? It's pretty easy to get a meeting these days <laughs> with the corporation. <laughs> you'll, get, you'll get a meeting. People will come and talk to you. People are looking for new ideas. So if you've got great ideas, I think the door's, the door's pretty open. Just a quick comment. You know, Dennis has always been a champion of uh, alternative workplace strategies, and I think a lot of us have done a lot of work around that. And, uh, you know, but if you're going to implement that, you know, it could be a major cultural shift in your company, right? Um, you know, taking care of the, the mobile workforce and really, really finding game-changing ways to reduce the footprint. And 
we've all done a lot of consulting work, and, and we've been engaged to do that, and a lot of that's been, been put on the shelf and, and hasn't been implemented. But one trend you might see going forward is that you know, those, they're going to dust those off, and they're going to come back, and they're going to say, well, let's, let's really take a hard look at these alternative workplace strategies and start implementing some of these great ideas that you've come up with over the last couple of years. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that a lot of you have, have either done yourselves or helped your clients achieve. Uh, and uh, so there's going to be some, some uh, renewed creativity out there uh, to, to, to look at some cost-cutting areas. Yeah, it, it would seem to me it's a good time. If you want to affect cultural change, if, uh, if this is a good time people are willing to go along with the, with the program, right? Not push you back. Bet. And just to add, remember, we're not in the business of real estate on the corporate side. Right. We are supporting initiatives that take interesting turns along the way. We need to understand real estate. We need to be able to understand the deliverables. But at the end of the day, when it comes to what, what does it take to run the business, to drive revenue and those kind of things, we're, we're a supplier. We are a supplier internally and a supplier externally. What we need to do is we need to get in front of the next wave. We need to get in front of that next thing to take advantage of. In fact, at least to a question I'd like to ask our panelists here. One of the things that came out of a poll that we recently did, and, and the responses were, were just the entire spectrum, uh, from very aggressive to very defensive to very positive to goodness knows what's going to happen next. But, but the question that came out was, and it was, it was nicely stated, it said, how do we go get and take advantage of the newspaper headlines? Okay? CEOs, CFOs, whoever comes into us and says, you know, the market's down, great time to renegotiate. You know, you're going to get 25% off the market rate. Or let's go and do that consolidation out of those three places. You know, there's capital out there, we can do some things. So, so the two questions is, one, the reality of is there opportunity in rent rate going forward, generally? And two is, what is the prospects of getting capital from landlords in, in order to do those, those transactions? I think the first thing you got to do is tell them that you're reading the New York Times and it's all happening there and not necessarily <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I, I think it's an interesting question. If you think about, uh, you know, uh, landlords, just, just think about that for a second. And, and, you flip the side, and we had a panel yesterday of owners and investors of real estate. It was, it was fascinating to hear their perspective on what's going on right now. But uh, if the lava is coming, Rich, and, and there's pressure on, on values of buildings, uh, it's, it's now more important than ever to, as a, as a tenant uh, to really understand the, the, the equity and debt stack of that ownership in that building. Uh, do they have something coming due? If so, how much equity do they have in the building? Uh, are they able to finance the TIs and so on and so forth? So having that understanding is going to be more critical than ever um, um, going forward um, because owners are uh, uh, seeing their values uh, decrease on their, on their assets. I, I would say, Dennis, um, obviously that's our job, right? That's why you hire us to advise you, you know, and to find those pockets of opportunities. Um, you know, the reality is, though, it's, it's, uh, it's situational. Depends on the market. You know, depends on exactly the asset you're talking about. Heck, it depends on the individual submarket that you're in where the vacancy is. Um, so those, and, and so if you're in New York, right, uh, which is where a lot of the news is coming from, 
I think the, the, the thought is, is that this is happening all over the place. And you should just you know, immediately be able to get a 25% discount wherever you go, whatever you do across business lines. That's not necessarily the case. Um, but, but there are those pockets of opportunity, again, uh, you know, to renegotiate, to take advantage of you know, this darn market with your landlord. But you know, the other things that we should be telling you is maybe now is not the right time. Maybe you wait six months. Um, maybe it's going to get worse. I mean, we, you know, with, with the people that we have on the ground in these markets, we ought to be able to you know, better pinpoint when the right time is to make that move. And, and based on Sean's slides, <laughs> which, were, uh, which were pretty distressing, uh, you, know, you, might, you might say to yourself, let's wait six months. Let's yeah, give this six don't, months. Don't you think, I, I've been surprised myself personally, how little downtown rates have moved. So last year we saw like last spring, about a $5 increase, right? Everything that was in the kind of high teens net jumped up into the low 20s. We saw a, a pretty fundamental repricing. It surprised me how much that's, hold, that's held so far. And you're right, it is situational, but I, I, I think there will be opportunities. But I, I have been a little surprised myself how well prices, there's, there's not a lot of, they've held pretty well. Yeah. I think they have held, there'll, there'll be significant pressure downtown next year. The suburbs are already feeling that pressure. Yep. Clearly, sure. so uh, I mean it's already impacting uh, the, the suburban area out there, but downtown I, I think you'll see that. And I, I think Jack's question is a good one. You know, when will when will it get better? And, and nobody has a crystal ball whatsoever. But if you just think about it, before it gets better, a lot has to happen. Uh, you know, the stock market has to bottom. I mean, uh, you know, is the Dow going to? Let me just ask you a question. Who, who thinks the Dow a year from now is going to be higher than it is now? Who thinks it's going to be higher? I, I happen to be on your side as well. But you know, one, what the, the, the stock market has to bottom. Foreclosures have to peak. Uh, unemployment has to peak. Uh, before anything, so these decks need to be cleared before things begin to get better. Uh, and then, and on, along the way, uh, we clearly, I would agree, need to give our clients the best possible advice that we can, we can provide. That's a great, uh, it's a great framework. Uh, one last question, just, to just th that we prepared, and then ma maybe there's questions out in the audience we can, we can entertain. But what advice do you give to professionals in our business? Maybe somebody three, five years into the business who's seeing something like this for the first time. What advice do you give them in their careers? How do they manage through this, this level of uncertainty that we're experiencing. Do you want to go first, Rich? Down times are a great time to learn. You know, if you're younger in your career, um, you need to stay disciplined if you like this industry and you want to stay in it. Uh, we, we lost a lot of professionals the last downturn, the late 80s, early 90s, to the internet boom and, and whatnot. And there was a gap of talent within our industry at that certain age level. So if you're committed to the industry, it's a good time to learn, it's a good time to grow, wh whether or not that includes formal education, supplements, or association supplements. But it's a good time to really take and understand the business because when the business is moving at the clip it's been at, you don't have time to stop and ask questions. You're too busy making money, you're too busy doing what you have to do. So, so now's the time to be more sponge-like and, and, and learn. And you know, if you're more advanced in your career, it's, it's maybe patience is the word that you just need to kind of to come to grips with. You know, it's just things will still happen. We aren't in that bad of shape on a supply-demand basis. Uh, you know, the economy is still strong. We're in a city here, Chicago, 
that has you know one new thing that's really going forward. And, and I don't know your politics in the room, but Chicago having a, a seat in the White House, it, it's 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 going to be very good for this city. And there's going to be a lot of good things that that we happen to uh, to get uh, that that will come out of that. So uh, if you're dedicated and you're committed to the business, be patient. You need to learn more, learn more. That, that's my, my Thank point. you. Jack? Yeah, for me, if you picked up one theme for me, it's, you know, it's attitude. And, and I think it starts with attitude. And um, it's so easy, you know, to get into this, you know, negative downward spiral and don't let it happen. First of all, nobody wants to listen to the negative person in the room anyway. So I think it all starts <laughs> with, with, with attitude. And, and you got to believe it. And I think we all have a responsibility to, to pass that around. Um, Second part is, um, I think you've got to be strategic. Pick your head up from the tactical world that you've been living in. You're going to have a little time probably to do that. And think about where these pockets of opportunities might be. Um, it, it's easier for me because I'm in the press box and I've got lots of business lines that I can play with. But in your own practice in what you're doing, you know, there are pockets of opportunity. So pick your head up from, from your tactical day. Be strategic and think about where they are. And then uh, thirdly, just old-fashioned outwork everybody else. I mean, this is really the time to roll up your sleeves and, uh, and, and grind it out. And, and, I, and I've always believed that, uh, you know, there's, there's no substitute for hard work and you can outwork uh, your competition. And, um, you know, I'll give you an example is, is um, you know, right now the, the assignments that you're going to get, uh, probably for all of us, are going to be harder than all the other assignments that you've had over the last five years. Whether you were selling a property, that was pretty easy over the last five years. Uh, you know, running an acquisition deal for a client um, is relatively easy. We're doing disposition work now, right? We're, um, we're helping our clients move surplus property in secondary markets. Well, you know what? If you can get in there, roll up your sleeves, and you can make that happen for them, you've got a client for life. Because it, it's easy to do the easy stuff. Go in and help them when they're really hurting and they have a challenge. Um, you know, you're going you're gonna to build your business and you're going to be much better off here when the market turns. Great feedback. Dennis, your thoughts? Jack, it was almost like you were reading my notes. I mean, I had the same <laughs> type of things, but from the other side. Um, I, I think the one key part today on the corporation side, regardless of where the company is at, whether they're on the resilient side or they're, or they're trying to scratch back in, I think creative is the, is the key right now. And creative comes with as many ideas, regardless of how far-fetched they may seem, being brought in. Um, two years ago as a company, we had a major influx of cash, which is the opposite side of a distinctly bad economy. But, but with it came the same call that we get today when the economy's down, and that was, I got to do something with the money. We've got a one-time opportunity. What can you do? And Fortunately, we had been a group that continually brought things back and told, get out of here, go away. So we had our list. We had a list of things that could be done. And, and probably a third of that list got accepted to say, good, let's move with it. Can you do it tomorrow? So I if you're creative and, and you come up with that list and you keep pushing it forward, okay, that I think is going to be the norm tomorrow. We're not going to, I don't think, see the results in the next two years that we've received in the past in terms of rent rationalization, 
being able to downsize and those kind of things. I, I would love to see it. I don't think it's going to happen. So what is that next level? And I think creative, maybe a little bit pushy, having that list available is the key. Thanks. Dan, your thoughts? Not a lot to add to, to those comments. I, before I, I do one thought, I would just say, echo what Rich was saying about uh, the opportunity for Chicago uh, with the new administration coming in place, uh, with the opportunity that exists to, to really compete for 2016. And I know Jack's got his, his 2016 pin on today. Uh, but it, it really positions our city in, 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 a, in terrific light, and, and it's, it's exciting. It's very exciting to be part of the city right now. Uh, I would say that, you know, my advice would be just be adaptable in, in a down market. Uh, be adaptable with your skills. Be adaptable with your thinking. Uh, if you're an investment salesperson and things are slow, well, how do you apply those skills to something else that's going on in your business or something else with, an, with a client? Or, or helping someone else uh, out uh, in the office. But uh, it's just being adaptable, and, uh, and we will come out of this cycle, but uh, uh, it just, uh, it'll take a little bit uh, of extra patience on all of our behalf. The only thing I'd add to that, and it's along the same lines, this is a great time to be building relationships. It's a great time to be networking. There's going to be people who kind of fly to the ball and maybe leave some of their old friends behind, or that just aren't focusing in on the relationship side. And then when the market turns around, you might have a whole new set of friends. So I'd just say the networking and relationships are uh, more important than ever. RJ, how are we doing on time? Do we have time for any questions from the audience? Could I use the mic microphone? Ooh, sorry. Any questions for our panelists? Yes. Green. We didn't talk much about green. Thoughts? I, I can Rich? suggest to you that in, in, I didn't comment, but we talked a moment ago about the changing in the, in the workplace. And what I really heard you saying is maybe the corporate client will have a little more of a, an acceptability or a flexibility in, in your workplace solutions. In my mind, we have as an industry, we haven't figured something out that, that we need to. If you look at an office asset, call a typical suburban product, it's $200 a square foot. And the tenant improvement portion of that is 50 bucks, 40 bucks. And, you know, who knows what you guys want. So when you... <laughs> 80. When, we want 80 now. When you, when you take... Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, you, can't, you, you can't have assets that... I mean, an average lease, let's say, is four, five, six years. You, you can't have an asset that loses 25% of its value and start over every four or five years. It, 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 it's not going to work. And, and, and I hope, personally, and it, it, it's subjective coming from the landlord side, certainly, is that through sustainability and some of the workplace solutions that sustainability can create, you can maybe get to, I don't know if you want to suggest it's generic space, but you can get to space that with the underfloor ducting, there's a, there's a lot of technological breakthroughs, but maybe come through the green door to get to the place where we've got to fix the churn cost because I, I hear where you're going, which is you're, you're going to wait six months and come beat us up. Those bankers ain't going to give it to us. We're not going to have the 50 bucks for you. So we got to mutually kind of figure out where it's going to be. Anything else to add on that? 
I would add, uh, you know, there, there's, there's new development, sustainability, and there's, there's existing. And certainly new development, uh, anything that we're seeing in Chicago right now, uh, you know, having a lead component in there is, 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 is the basics oh, right now. Uh, lead EB, uh, that's, that's another situation where an existing building can do some things to bring their building uh, up to a certain standard of lead. Uh, we're making a big commitment to lead. All of our property managers in Chicago will be lead certified by the end of the year. Uh, our, our COO on the global level is lead certified. So we think it's here to st stay. It started with the government. We're seeing it from all of you on the corporate side, uh, and we're also seeing it on the investor side to react to the corporate side. Sean, if I could just add, uh, I think there's two parts. One is the battle for cash within companies for capital is certainly intense, but there's two things going for it. I think the first one is is that more and more the uh, corporate governance, what companies are being asked to do in terms of partnering and things of that nature is starting to grow. And, and uh, the legal beagles in particular to that side of the business really are attaching to it. They're, they're getting, uh, they're the ones that are taking leadership and, and compliance and things. So I, I think that's still there. I think the other one is, is that if we believe that this is a protracted economic situation, if we just take that for face value, there's an investment that can be made today that could have a payback and then an annuity within an 18-month period of time. That may not be the norm, but if, in fact, we believe that we've got to cut costs someplace, it might be worth the investment. So, yeah, It seems to me the same. It, it, it's a fundamental change in our – over time, use less, cost less, right? Use less of something, it's going to cost less. And I, I just believe that through innovation, that's the way it's going to go. Use less, cost less. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Other questions? I think that's uh, I think that's it. Well, I appreciate your time, and please thank all of our panelists. All right, thank you so much for the panelists, and thank you all for joining us. Don't forget. Holiday parties coming up. Dennis, thank you. Don't forget to fill out your evaluations. And I also want to point out that this time, for the first time, we are video casting this, and we will be posting the video of this event on YouTube. And the podcast will be available on our website. So go to YouTube, and you can see yourself right here at Cornette.